Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Vintage Faith. We're upon a really profound and incredible week as we consider um, that our trust in Christ and our hope um, for eternal life after death is rooted in that historical event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So I hope Easter's on our minds. I'm reading from Psalm 118 this morning. Psalm 118, 19 to 29. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Blind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Good morning. Good Friday service, 7 o'clock this coming Friday. We'd love to have you here. That's going to be just a time of reflection, contemplation, somber. Uh, We'll be singing and uh, reading scripture. Uh, We hope to have you. Just a a few announcements. about our Bible studies here because we, you know, we've been shut down in, in some sense for, for a pretty long time. But there are a few up that have been up and running and getting up and running. And I wanted to, to just let everyone know we have a Wednesday morning, 9.30 a.m. women's Bible study led by Donna Cooper. That's via Facebook video. So if you're interested in that, see Donna. Monday evening, 6.30 at the church, Dave Pettit is leading a group that's uh, going over the Lord's Supper and how that relates to the the covenants and and the meals and the festivals in the Old Testament. And Ron and Elaine Kochanowski on Tuesday evenings, 6.30, which is another digital one via Google Chrome. So if you're interested in any of those studies, see Ron and Elaine, Dave Pettit, or Donna Cooper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in a world that is full of change, in a world that feels like the ground beneath us is moving every day, constantly shifting, you and and your word alone remain unshakable. Lord, if we oppose 
your word, we are opposing you. If we embrace your word, Lord, we're embracing you. Change our hearts to be lovers of your word. To know that when we love your word, we're loving you, the word become flesh. God, all good and perfect gifts come from you, the Father of lights. The greatest gift of all is the gift of your Son. It's the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. How sweet it is to come into your presence through the blood of your Son. How sweet it is to worship a king who would die for us when we were still enemies and at enmity towards him. Lord, awaken our hearts this morning. Awaken our apathetic hearts to the joy of your salvation. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. Let us see through the fog of our sin and self-centeredness. Show us the depth and the width and the breadth of your glory. Lord, it's in your word that you say that even the angels long to look into these things, and so many times we just hold them apathetically. We want other things. We want our situation to be better. Lord, help us to see the beauty of our salvation. Awaken us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we, as human beings, are just an intensely practical people. And I think many times we, we approach the Bible and God's word practically. We, we open up the Bible and we're thinking, okay, I got a problem in my marriage or I got a problem with my children or I have problems in relationships. God, show me what to do. And we kind of open up the Bible and look at it as, hey, this is kind of a manual that's going to tell me what to do. And we can get confused because the Bible doesn't speak to us in that way. The Bible's not about us. And many times we approach it as if we want it to be about us. And we get confused when we read it, and then maybe we stop reading it because we're looking for it to speak directly to our situation, and it doesn't always do that. It certainly does speak into all the situations of life, but not how we think it speaks into them. Paul David Tripp says this in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And he's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the idea that we're looking to the Bible. Actually, he says we look to the Bible as an encyclopedia, but it's not that. He says, in reality, you're part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity transporting them into his kingdom and progressively shaping them into his likeness. And he wants you to be a part of it. Your life is bigger than you ever imagined. And it's that 
lens and that kind of view when we read the Bible, we need to be thinking of it. This is a grand story and we are a part of it and it makes us feel small and that is good. I've heard it said that nobody goes to the Grand Canyon or to the mountains to look at the the beauty of the Grand Canyon or the beauty of the mountains to feel big about themselves. You look at something like the Grand Canyon and you stand in awe of it and you get outside of yourself and it feels right and it feels good. So that's how we have to approach the word. All right, with that introduction, we're in the Gospel of John. We're now getting to the point of Holy Week. Jesus is going to die within a week of the text that we're looking at today. We can't overestimate the political tension that's happening in in Jerusalem at, at this point. It's Passover week. The year's AD 33, it's the month is, is, is our month would be March, it's not the Jewish month. Israel's living under the thumb and oppression of Rome. We've talked about that, that comes up a lot during this gospel because Jesus' interaction with the Jewish people, they're always just wanting that political out. We need a political Messiah, so Israel's under the thumb of Rome. And the Jews want their freedom. And they're hearing, man, there is a guy. There is a man. His name is Jesus, Yeshua. He's around in the land. He's doing miracles. He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to deliver us out from under the thumb of Roman oppression. He's the one. And all of the insurrectionists, the, the, the guys that have been kind of waiting to take over Rome. Their their swords, they got the stone to their sword and they're just sharpening that thing, getting it ready. All right, we're going to take it over. It's here. Our, Our Messiah is here. The time has come. And Rome is ready too. Rome feels the tension. And they've got soldiers all around. This Passover is unlike any other Passover that has happened in the history of Judea. It's a powder keg ready to explode. And Jesus does not disappoint. All right, let's go to our scripture today. John chapter 12, 12 to 13. The next day, the large crowd that had come to, to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So imagine the scene. They're hearing that he's coming. He's going to be coming into Jerusalem, and the crowds are ready, and they've got palm branches, and they're going to spread the branches out like a royal red carpet for their Messiah. And they're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is straight from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 was a messianic psalm. It's a halal psalm. It's it's a psalm that would have been sung during all the great feasts, certainly been sung during Passover. And the crowds are rightly saying, he's the Messiah. 
Hosanna. And Hosanna is actually a Hebrew word that, that is two words, Yasha, Hoshaya, and Anna. And it literally means, save us, I beg you to save us. I beg you to save us. It's translated in, in the ESV, save us, we pray, O Lord. But it's got that idea of, Lord, save us. We're hurting here. We need you. Save us. And the crowds are screaming this. And, and again, they're identifying this man is our Messiah. Psalm 118, 25 to 26 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. That, those words actually right there are Hosanna uh, in, the, in the Hebrew. And, and that's where that English word Hosanna is coming from. If you were to read the Hebrew, it would say Hoshia Anna. Uh, and so they're saying, save us, we pray, O Lord, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The messianic fervor is just ready to explode. Ready to explode. And Jesus does not disappoint. But to get to what we read next in John, we got to do a little history. Remember when we, we opened up the sermon series and I kind of showed you a, a picture of Rembrandt and it was just lights shining on, on the scene of the prodigal son. And the idea is that when, when John writes, he's a little different than Matthew and different than Luke. John goes deep and he goes deep into the Old Testament maybe without quoting as many Old Testament verses, but he's shining a light on a truth that has just been in the Word and just is big and, and, and has multi-dimensions. And that's what's happening here. And so to, to see the full magnitude of what's going on, we just got to do a little work here in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, David is given a promise. King David, he's given a promise you're not going to build the house of the Lord. Your son's going to build it. And by the way, you're going to have a son that's going to sit on your throne forever. Let's, let's read it in 2 Samuel. This is to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. So that offspring word is seed. It's, it's, it's I'm basically your son. Who shall come from your body... And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So in some sense, David hears this promise, and he's thinking about his son Solomon. And Solomon did build the house of the Lord, but Solomon died. This promise is talking about a son that, that is going to reign forever. During David's the end of his life, one of his, his eldest son, Adonijah, who is Solomon's older brother, knew that the, that the throne was going to Solomon, but they decided, hey, we're going to stage a, a coup. We're going we're to take this thing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to march into the city, and we're just going to proclaim that Adonijah is king, David's old. He can't even see anymore. He's, he's, not gonna, he's not even going to know. And they do that. 
David hears about it. His wife comes in, Bathsheba, and she comes in and she says, hey, I thought you promised Solomon. Why is Adonijah out there talking about he's becoming king? And, and David says, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Solomon is king. And we see this in 1 Kings. And the king said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gion. And then 1 Kings 1, 39 to 40, then Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. They blew the trumpet and all the people said, long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. So get this picture here. Solomon is riding in on a mule into Jerusalem. The crowds are surrounding him, rejoicing. He's being declared king. And the rejoicing is so great that the earth was split. Hundreds, hundreds of years in the future, the prophet Zechariah says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's Jerusalem, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So with all this background in mind, you've got Solomon, the son of David, enters the city on a mule, being declared king. You've got Zechariah who says, Jerusalem, your, your king will come to you on a donkey. And now you have the triumphal entry with the crowd screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us, save us. And what does Jesus do? John 12, 14 to 15, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus is saying, I am the true son of David. Solomon was David's son, and he died. I am the son that Samuel is talking about, the one who will sit on the throne forever and ever. And I am who Zechariah is talking about. I am your king, and I am coming with salvation. Don Carson says this about Christ and the triumphal entry. He says, he does not enter Jerusalem on a war horse, which would have whipped the political aspirations of the vast crowds into insurrectionist frenzy, but he chooses to present himself as the king who comes in peace gentle, and riding on a donkey. So there's multiple layers going on here. He's saying, I'm a king, I come in peace, I'm not coming to make war. He's saying, I'm the true son of David, I'm the one that the Bible has been pointing to, I will be reigning forever, I am the king of not only Israel, but of the world, and I am the one that all the prophets have prophesied about. 
So he's entering Jerusalem. There's, there's frenzy. There's joy. And again, Jesus doesn't disappoint. But there's also sorrow. Luke gives us another perspective of the triumphal entry. And we're going to look at that in Luke 19. So when Jesus, he, he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is worth pondering. We should, we should stop and think. All of the people of God are just in a frenzy and they're excited and they can't wait and finally our deliverer is here and he comes and as, as he's entering the city, he weeps. In fact, the word here for weep is different than the word for weep when he weeps at the grave of Lazarus. The word here is to wail, lament, with emphasis of the noise accompanying the weeping. Think about this. This is the humanity of Christ. He's coming into Jerusalem, the city of God, the people of God, and he knows what's going to happen. And he weeps. So much so that the outer physical body of him is probably shaking. Do you have a category for a Christ like that? That he weeps. That he cares. Warfield, great theologian, wrote The Emotional Life of Our Lord. Says this. Even more clearly, his own unrestrained wailing over Jerusalem and its stubborn unbelief was the expression of the most poignant pity. The sight of suffering drew tears from his eyes, so he's talking about Lazarus in and, and that scene. But obstinate unbelief convulsed him with uncontrollable grief. the humanity of Christ. I think a lot of us struggle with this. We think that in his humanity, well, there must be sin, so I can't quite understand that, but Jesus was fully human and fully divine. It's a mystery. And here we see him, the human side of him, weeping. And maybe you're weeping over family members that you know that are obstinate and don't want to come to the Lord. Jesus knows how you feel. He knows how you feel. In his humanity, he knows. And he says, oh, that you had known the things that would bring you peace. 
Do you know what can bring you peace? All of our souls are restless. Every one of us. But there's only one person who can bring us peace. It's Jesus. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Everything else that we try to find peace in is going to eventually frustrate us and crush us. Only Jesus can bring peace. Second, he, he comes for judgment. He, he actually describes what happens to Jerusalem in 70 AD. He says the days are coming when your enemies are going to set a barricade around you and surround you on every side and tear you down to the ground, and, and not one stone is going to be left turned over. And we know that the Romans did this. They surrounded Jerusalem in AD 70, and they blocked any food coming into the city. They starved the people in Jerusalem. And then they ransacked it, and they took the stones, and they were looking for the gold in between the stones and the temple. And this prophecy became true. And Jesus is weeping because he knows that they're going to reject him. The very same people that are screaming, Hosanna, save us, Lord, save us. They're going to be screaming in one week, crucify him. Kill him. Give us Barabbas. Take him to the cross. He's a blasphemer. He's evil. He's sinful. The same people. And he knows it. Psalm 118, this is, again, this messianic psalm that, that is really kind of in the background of this day on the triumphal entry. It goes on and it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus, this is talking about Jesus. We're going to read here in a bit in Matthew He's the cornerstone. He, he's rejected by the builders, by, by, the, by the Jews. He's rejected, but it was the Lord's doing. It was all part of the plan. In Matthew 21, as Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, he says to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. It crushed Jerusalem. The rejection of Jesus crushed them. In fact, in 70 AD, they got what they really wanted. What they wanted when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem was an insurrection. They wanted a political fight. They wanted to take over Rome. And in AD 70, they actually got that and they lost. They were crushed. God gave them over to the desires of their heart. And they were crushed. And Jesus enters the city on Palm Sunday, and he knows all of this. He sees all of it. It's all in his view, and he weeps. He weeps. Psalm 118, 
is so much in the background of what's happening here on, on Passover. And we're going to look at that here, here in a moment. But, but the psalm is, again, it's a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that the Jews would have sung at, at uh, the dedication of the temple, at Passover, at the feast. They would sing this. And it was a messianic psalm, meaning they knew this psalm was about their Messiah. Psalm 118, 26 to 27 Again, quoting John, John quoting this, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. All right. So we're going we're gonna to look at this here in a minute. There's something more going on here in the psalm than just exuberance. We've got the rejection of the cornerstone, and now we see, okay, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, wait, there's a, a festal sacrifice to be bound with cords at the altar. The horns of the altar were at the place of sacrifice in the temple. And they were seen in the Bible as a, place of safety. In fact, if, you, if you've read through the Old Testament, there's a few times in the Old Testament where you're going to see people going to the horns of the altar for safety. In fact, Adonijah, who was trying to stage the takeover of Solomon's kingship, David's son, Adonijah, when he found out that David was with it and alive and, 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 and that he anointed Solomon, he knew, I, I'm done. I'm going to die. I've made a really big mistake. And he runs to the horns of the altar and he grabs them because he knows this is a holy place. No one's going to kill me here. And he begs for his life at the horns of the altar. There's multiple instances of, of people running to the horns of the altar. The horns of the altar were a place of safety. No one would kill someone at the horns of the altar. The altar was also a place of sacrifice. This is where the sins of the people were atoned. And when we look at this psalm, Psalm 118, we're seeing a messianic, Entrance into the city, and then we're seeing, wait, bind the festal sacrifice with cords? What? Up to the horns of the altar? Psalm 118 is pointing to Jesus, as we know. He is the Messiah. And he is coming to die on the altar of the cross. Derek Kidner says this about Christ in Psalm 118. What those who took part in such a ceremony could never have foreseen was that it would one day suddenly enact itself on the road to Jerusalem. So they're talking about the ceremony of, of, of the altar and Passover and Psalm 118. Unrehearsed, unliturgical, and with explosive force. And what, 
in that week when God's realities broke through his symbols and the shadows, in shadows the horns of the altar became the arms of the cross and the festival itself found fulfillment in Christ our Passover. He's saying this week, this Passover, all of the law, all of the shadow, all the ceremonies, all the ritual washings, all the sacrifices, all those shadows are finally coming out and the substance is here, who is Christ. The realities broke through on Palm Sunday. Christ is the festal sacrifice. He is bound by cords on an old woman, woman, an old Roman wooden cross. Bound. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, he is the festal sacrifice. The festival is Passover. He's the sacrifice. He's the peace offering. He's the sin offering. Have you found peace with Christ? Specifically, have you found peace with Christ at the cross and dealt with your sin? He is the only peace offering. He is the only sin offering. 2,000 years ago, he rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey, offering peace. But the Bible says when he comes again, he's not going to be riding on a donkey. He's going to be on a war horse. He's going to come again as a conquering king to defeat Satan, sin, and death, not bringing peace, bringing justice, bringing judgment, John says in the book of Revelation of this, he says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on, the white, on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Are you ready for that? Is he going to be coming and fighting for you or against you? Now is the time to put your faith in him. And if your faith is already in him, now is the time to just continually go back to him. You're not going to find peace anywhere else. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
we look to you this morning and as we enter Holy Week as a church, help us to feel the weight of this week. Help us to feel the weight of our sin and the beauty of the forgiveness that we have in you because you are the festal sacrifice. You were bound with cords on the cross. Those cords were nails in your hands and nails in your feet. And you did it willingly for the joy set before you to bring many sons and daughters into glory with you. Lord, help us to not only be somber and reflective, but to have joy in our salvation. Remind us of the joy of our salvation. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at VintageFaithCicero.com.